I'm, uh, I'm excited to share with you tonight from the Gospel of John, the 10th chapter, beginning at the first verse. And I will point out, and I'll say a bit more about this later, but the scripture passage that we read together um, is in the bulletin, um, as are some others. And I don't always specify this, but I, I just I invite you to experience this passage in, in whatever way sort of speaks to you. So for some of you, that might mean you read along. For some of you, it might mean you just listen to it read. But whatever, I just encourage you to, to just experience this passage as I read it for us. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Would you pray with me? Loving God, as you invite us to consider this parable, As these words speak to us, challenge us, encourage us, move us, I pray that the presence and work of your Holy Spirit would simply help us as we seek to welcome you in, welcome this living word so that it might be at formative work in each of us. And so, God, I pray that you would speak through me and, if need be, in spite of me, so that your word alone would be heard. Amen. So, uh, a couple months ago... um, I was trying, okay, here's the thing, Journey and John can tell you, I don't plan ahead very well. Uh, very often, see, they're so kind that, they're, well, Journey lost her voice, otherwise she would have guffawed right there probably. John is just, is very polite, right? Yes, a little bit. Um, I don't do well with long-term planning. It's not my strength, which is the understatement, well, one of the understatements I'll share tonight. But here's the thing. I was excited because I was looking ahead at the, the lectionary texts, and I just thought, wouldn't it be interesting to just do this, this sort of long, light series kind of thing where we go from Jesus' baptism all the way to the transfiguration? 
And then in between, just stay in the the text for the latter part of 1 Corinthians, because all of this to me points to the unique ways that, that God reveals God's love for us and that we are called to live out that love both, in, and particularly in 1 Corinthians, as a response, 1 Corinthians, well, you know what I meant, right? 1 Corinthians, both as a response to disunity and to turmoil, but simply as the unique way that as people of faith, we begin to see ourselves, see one another, and even see the world around us. To me, it's this really beautiful For me, it's been a very beautiful journey. I I have really enjoyed it. And maybe that's just the stuff that I have gotten to read to do to prepare as I've dove into 1 Corinthians in ways that I never have before. It's just been wonderful. And then this past week, I was so excited. The culmination, the transfiguration, which is this absolutely glorious mountaintop experience, quite literally. I'm pretty sure that's where we get that expression from. And all day Thursday, I'm working on it. And I got to tell you, it it was not good. It just did not. It would not come together. And I had this like it, originally I thought oh what a part and I just could it just didn't fit it just wasn't clicking and but I try not to like throw anyways so the point is I also I will tell you one of the things they tell you in seminary is to never preach about the process of preparing a sermon so I'm breaking lots of rules tonight but the point is that that night late that night I was frustrated and I dove into the black hole of YouTube. You know how YouTube, the more you watch, the more it has suggestions for what you should watch next. And I just kept watching things. And, oh, that looks interesting. And then the video would end. And then nine more things would show up. And, oh, sure, that one's next. And I, I was just trying to, like, you know, get out of my head. And I'm just watching these things. And somehow I end up watching this monologue, this person who is just talking about, you know, sort of expressing themselves as this sort of monologue slash prayer. And it's this lament to God. And it was boring. And so I finally, I just said, okay, I'm, I feel kind of bad, so I'm going to watch the rest of it. But it's one of those things where I'm like, slide it over to the second screen, find something else to do. But it's still going. And then he said something. And I was like, wait, what? a little double take. This is what he said. I had to rewind it. You, he's talking to God here, you who hold us back, keep us down so we will rely on you. And then I was engaged. (laughs) Then I was interested because I thought, yeah, that's not a new idea, but I don't like it. (laughs) I I don't like it at all. It just, it felt wrong. And so I I found myself just sort of diving into it a little bit. I mean, that's how my head works. And and I I even shared a little bit about this in my devotional that I offered uh, the next morning, but I just couldn't get out of my head. And so I thought, really, that feels so opposite to the idea that God loves us, that God calls us the beloved, that God would keep us down as if this is some kind of, like, torture so that we might turn and love our torturer, that that we might rely on God because there's no other way, because in God's cruelty, we have no other option. It just doesn't, it didn't fit. And so I found myself thinking specifically about The passage from John 10 that we read where Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. That the the very reason 
for the coming of Christ by his own words is that we might have life, and and not just life, but abundant life. And so I want to sort of close this journey that we've been on just by thinking together about the ways that Scripture shows us, shares us, and invites us not just to celebrate, but to live into God's love for us, God's desire for us to have life and have it abundantly. So what, I've, what, I've, what I asked John to do, and because John's amazing, he, he did it so well, there is a little insert in your bulletin, and it has just a few of the passages that come to mind for me when I think about the wonderful gift of abundant life that God is working and so, for us to have and so desires for us to have. And I just want us to read these together. And I would just invite you to hang on to this. If this is something that you need to be reminded of from time to time, here are a few passages that I think speak to the incredible ways that God wants us to have life and have it abundantly. And some of these are a little maybe obscure at first glance, but, but hear me out on them. And let me, let me just share these with us. The first is from the very first chapter of Scripture, Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And we'll come back and read 31 in a second, but but think about all the things that are happening there. God created us with the intention of this unique and blessed relationship with God. In God's own image were we created. Created specially and then God invites us to have Dominion. And, and listen, there's a whole lot of ink been spilled over what that means, but fundamentally, let's just, let's just realize one of the things it means is that God wants us to be a part of what is going on in the world. Uh, call it authority, call it responsibility, but dominion is an invitation to be about the work within God's creation for God's creation. And that is not just a special relationship, but a special responsibility that we have in relationship with God. And when God created us, when God created humankind, verse 31 says, God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. But I guess I shouldn't gloss over it that way, but but it was very good. You and I and, and humankind, the very creation of us, God said not just it was good, but it was very good. A few chapters later, the call of Abraham, who would be Abraham, Genesis 12, the first three verses. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Now that alone sounds awesome. But here's the thing. I know most of y'all, and none of you are named Abram. So let's read the next verse. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, 
all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Part of what that speaks to me is that we hear, we read, we, we understand that from the very beginning, from the very call of Abraham, that God's intention was the blessing of all. Abraham was not set apart so that Abraham could be top dog and most awesome and all sorts of phrases that I won't say because, you know, we'd be here all night. But the point is, that was, that was, he was set apart. He was blessed so that all the families of the world could be blessed because God loves all of humankind. And in the same way, the calling on each of us is one that is to be at work in all the world. Psalm 23, beautiful psalm. You've heard it before. Just the first four verses tonight. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And just there, I feel a connection to John 10. As Jesus describes the beautiful relationship that the shepherd has with the shepherd's sheep, who know his voice, who through his leadership find pasture, The Lord is our shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters. Do you hear the provision in those statements? He restores my soul. Provision that goes beyond the food and the drink and continues. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. And verse 4, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I mean, this invitation to, to, to recognize, to rely on God, even in the darkest valley. King Jimmy says, the, the, the valley of death. Wait, no, that's not right. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That, yeah, that's just great language there, you know. But even though that's where we find ourselves from time to time, your rod and your staff, they come for me. God's choice and God's love for us to be with us, even in those terrible moments. Isaiah 40, 30 through 31, even youths will faint away and be weary and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This promise that, that, that through God, that we will find ourselves, I mean, in a sense, literally energized perhaps, but that, but that essentially what we're saying is that there is something more here than just the natural abilities and capacities that are within us, but those who wait for the Lord, those who rely on God, will find themselves capable of so much more. And Romans 8, 31 through 39, how could we not include This beautiful passage. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? We could stop right there. If God is for us, who is against us? And and God is for us. In verse 32, as it continues, He who did not withhold His own Son, but gave Him up for all of us. In case you were wondering if God loves you. God gave up his son for all of us and he will not with him and will he not with him also give us everything else who will bring any charge against God's elect it is God who justifies who is to condemn it is Christ Jesus who died yes who was raised who is at the right hand of God who indeed intercedes for us he's still at it he's still in his love interceding for us 
And then this beautiful, and I would imagine familiar passage, who will separate us from the love of Christ? It's a good question. Paul has an answer. Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. But but no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. (laughs) I just got to say amen. Nothing. I think there is one thing. And it's ourselves. The reality is that God really loves us, which means God is not going to force that love on us. But there is nothing outside of us. Nothing in this world. No hardship. No difficulty. No misunderstanding. No bad theology. I'm chock full of that. Y'all know that already. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. And I just can't, (laughs) I can't believe an idea, uh, the, the idea that God somehow keeps us down so that we might turn to God as if somehow there's no, it just, it doesn't even make sense to me. I'm having trouble even forming a sentence that does it. It's like the Stockholm Syndrome. It's like the, the theological equivalent of the Stockholm Syndrome. Like, oh, finally, I begin to fall for my torture. I, I, I'm probably messing up that. I only know about the Stockholm Syndrome from sitcoms, so I'm probably getting it wrong. But, but that's how I know it. <laughs> and that's what it sounds like to me. And that just doesn't sound right. And yes, we are those who are called to confession, to acknowledge that that we get it wrong sometimes, to acknowledge that we need God's forgiveness as one of those expressions of God's love. And yes, we are called to obedience. We are called to live out as God has called us to live out, to find ways to live. But I got to tell you, my friends, that is not obedience for obedience's sake. It is not, I just need you to prove your loyalty by doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing. No, it's different. It's, it's, It's abundant life. It's the way of life that God calls us to because it's the way of life we were created for and it is the very way that we live into the life abundant that Christ came that we might have. The language of that that always comes to mind for me is in um, the classic confession of our communion liturgy in the United Methodist Church. And some of you know what I'm speaking of, but when we do the, the full liturgy, Part of that is this time of confession where we pray this beautiful prayer about the things that we have done and the things that we have left undone, the ways that we have not been a good neighbor, the ways that we have not, and it ends with this expression, free us, God, free us for joyful obedience joyful obedience. I I love that expression. Think about obedience to God, yes, but not obedience for obedience's sake, not some, oh gosh, I gotta be obedient to God. No. (laughs) 
I'm living into the person that God created me. I'm living into and understanding more and more the, the belovedness that I am. And I live into the life that God desires for me, an abundant life. That's what obedience leads to, not, not drudgery. A part of why I'm as excited to share this tonight is that we enter, as I mentioned earlier, into Lent next week. And one of the things that some, so often is covered, oh, I've got to give something up for Lent, and it's so dour, and it's depressing. And okay, yeah, it's heavy, but goodness gracious, even that has a glory to it, an opportunity to, to utilize that, not as some sort of depressing, sad thing, but, but a way for us to live into and explore our relationship with God. So my friends, I I just want to invite you to think on the incredible gift of God's love for each of us that is lived out in the blessedness of the creation of all of humankind and the creation of each of us, that is lived out in the call that has been on all of us from Abram all the way to each of us here and generations to come for the ways that God is with us even in the midst of our darkest moments chooses to be and sustains and protects and comforts and guides us for the ways God's work energizes and lifts us up on wings like eagles and the reminder that there is nothing in all of the world that can separate us from that love. Free us, God, for joyful obedience. Amen.